Hello, I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Dave DeWalt, founder and CEO of Night Dragon, the leading venture capital firm for cybersecurity, security, safety, and privacy, turning missions into market forces. To learn more about Night Dragon, visit their website at nightdragon.com. Welcome, Dave. It's so great to have you with us. Thanks for coming on. Hillary, thank you for having me. Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, of course. And speaking of the new year, Dave, want to talk about last year with you quickly before we dive into more about 2023. So 2022 turned out to be quite the year in, in cyber venture capital. And we at Cybersecurity Ventures tracked a about $16 billion of cyber deal flow. So to kick off this episode, will you take us through your thoughts, if that number sounds about right to you, and you know what you witnessed in 2022? Yeah, Hillary, what a year 2022 was. I create a little context to it because you almost got to look at the last three years in context to what happened in 2022, right? With the pandemics and resulting economic crisis, cultural crisis, you know, government, you know, sort of electoral crisis, you know, another recession, lots going on and, you know, war in Ukraine, you know, all kinds of major activities really created an atmosphere for cyber and national security in a way that we really had never experienced in at least my 20 years of being a part of this industry sector. So if you kind of look at what had happened, you know, I kind of summarize it with kind of five pieces real quick. One is, the cyber super cycle has continued, right? In 2022, you mentioned 16 billion. We tracked around 19 billion of real investment, almost 120 billion of M&A activity in the world of cyber. So, you know, records across every level of investment and M&A. So the super cycle of cyber growing and growing and growing from the days of my McAfee when I was CEO there, couple billion dollar market now into a market in the hundreds of billions just two decades later that continues to grow and why i mean number two it's the threat environment hillary you know we see an extraordinarily high threat environment not just with all the things that have happened you know during the ukrainian conflict here but also around the world you know hacktivism crime espionage terrorism warfare you know, all kinds of danger levels have risen, the threat environment. And when you put together a whole new attack surface with growing technology, you put all this geopolitical tension, you have this perfect storm of threat and risk driving the cyber market up. But what's kind of cool in 22 as well was we saw a lot of new technology sectors emerge for cyber as well. And we can talk about that, but, you know, a lot of new categories a lot of new inertia around space that, you know, we hadn't seen before. And that was pretty cool to watch, at least in terms of opportunity for new cyber vendors. But probably the biggest ones were, you know, the government's arrival as well. You know, the government's always been involved, not just the U.S. government, governments around the world, Hillary. But 2022 was a bit of the year of government regulation. You know, we watched a lot of inertia of regulatory components and when you start to see what the SEC is doing, the TSA is doing, Homeland Security is doing, you start to look at, you know, just about every agency governing the industry and the threat environment coupled with that regulatory environment, boom, it really just elevated what was going on. But then the flip side of it was we saw a lot of contraction and a contraction in market valuations, even the strongest companies 
Palo Alto Networks, CrowdStrike, you know, Zscaler really had significant contractions in their market caps and their valuations. So despite this incredible storm of growth and cyber super cycle, you know, us investors were sitting there looking at 2023 as maybe even the best year we've ever had because now with valuations down and the market's still growing up, you know, maybe we get a lot better opportunity to invest in these companies. That's an interesting take. And I guess, how is Night Dragon's growth specifically in 2022? Is there anything you can share with us or some highlights of, of last year's activity? We had a lot. We had a banner year here at Night Dragon. I'm very proud of the team. We really have been focused in on building the world's most powerful, impactful, most valuable growth platform for cyber, national security, national safety, national privacy areas, CSSP, as you introduced, $400 billion market you know, with a lot of opportunities. So, you know, we've added team members. We're now up to 70 plus people at Night Dragon. So we've been growing. We're raising capital. We're making investments. We're now 13 portfolio companies from our last fund, Night Dragon Growth Fund 1, which was a $750 million fund. We invested in some incredible companies, many of which are involved with the Ukrainian conflict in a positive way and really making a difference in the world. Our tagline is securing our world for tomorrow. So we really like to think about the biggest threats, the biggest risks. How do we invest into commercial companies who can meet that risk and threat, partner with government? And we've made a lot of progress, marketing influence. We did a partnership with the White House this past year on cyber education and workforce. We launched 115 new partnerships, go-to-market partnerships around the world. So big part of our intellectual property here at Night Dragon is to build an engine basically to build playbooks, programs, partnerships, and people into a set of IP that create repeatable and highly probable returns for our shareholders. Just like you would do if you built a corporation like we did here many times over in my CEO background, we're doing the same with our Night Dragon growth platform and we're creating repeatable returns and it's been paying off in the returns for our shareholders so far. So we'll keep it up in 23 hopefully as well. Yeah, it's going to be hard to top all of that, but I'm sure you'll find a way to do it. So that's exciting. Let's talk about 2023. And I said you had an interesting take before. You have an optimistic take. I, I like it. You know, a lot of people are saying this year isn't going to necessarily be what last year was, especially with that current economic situation. And, it, you know, you mentioned that earlier as well, but cybersecurity is resilient as we know. So to build on what you've already shared, what are your predictions? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's clear. And I just saw a survey yesterday that Morgan Stanley put out their sell side analyst team with a lot of C-level surveying. You know, here's two stats for you. Number one, the fastest growing technology sector in 2023 is cybersecurity. Number one, cloud infrastructure, cloud transformation projects, not as high as cybersecurity. Is it slower potentially than it was in years past? Yep. But it's still the number one sector for growth. And number two, it was the least likely by two times to be a budget cut area. So cybersecurity was the least likely to be cut by two times over the next project because it's a must have. So as you come into 2023, yeah, perhaps the growth isn't as great as it once was. Maybe there's some consolidation going on, but all those factors of regulatory and threat and things I talked about are going to keep those budgets full 
and growing for cyber. So that's my first prediction is we're going to see, you know, a pretty healthy year from cyber. I think we're going to continue to see a lot of awareness that, you know, we need to do around the world for education. And I'll give you an example, Hillary. I was just at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, CES, second most attended event in history of the Consumer Electronics Show. The only reason it wasn't number one by a long shot was really because of the Asian market still shut down, particularly China, who shows up at that event. But what was the difference this year? Cybersecurity was one of the main pillars of the entire event. And the government showed up as well. Secretary of State, Homeland Security, head of CISA, keynotes everywhere by government, regulation, labeling programs, all kinds of awareness and education. Because again, the threat environment is very high. They're trying to create regulatory environment to create better defenses together. The program's called Shields Up that the government's doing with CISA, but the government is really active. And what are we going to see coming up? South by Southwest, which is another major event where we're going to see cybersecurity be main stage. We're going to see it, of course, at RSA, which is the signature security event. I'm flying over to Israel next week for the Cyber Tech Conference. Again, will be one of the most attended ever. So event after event, education after education, growth happening. I see this as another year for you know cyber to be main stage. Now, the scary part, Hillary, if I can, is you know we're going to continue to see a threat environment that's elevated. And that elevation gets scary because whenever you have capability, which we now have in a lot of countries around the world, not just nation state activities, but other bad actor groups that can perpetrate crime or even terrorism type activities, you know, we now have that capability and we have motivation with a lot of geopolitical tension around the world. So whenever capability and motivation kind of get up there in the world of cyber, bad things tend to happen. So we're seeing that manifest itself with ransomware. We're seeing that manifest itself with other types of data, misinformation, disinformation, campaigning. So trust and safety around information, data wiping, data poisoning, you know, data loss are all areas that you know we're pretty concerned with in 2023. So I try to be as positive as I can, but you know, obviously there's a tougher side to what's going on too. Yeah, of course. And just briefly, let's talk about layoffs, Dave, because some have been happening since I think around mid-year last year. So what have your observations been and what impact do you think layoffs will have in 2023? What a three-year window the market had, right? Tons of capital coming into the market, companies at almost every cost trying to grow. And what's the ramification of that? A lot of them burnt a lot of cash. They have to conserve their cash at this point. They have to start to get, you know, what we really call the rule of 40, which is both top line growth and bottom line growth and positive EBITDA on the bottom line. So many companies are retrenching that strategy as we go into 2023. So, you know, here comes the pendulum, right? You know, if you look at 20 years of cyber, we've had pendulums where the market really rewarded fast growth. And I was in one of those with FireEye, helped grow the company from about 10 million in revenue to a billion in revenue in less than four years. The market rewarded that with 10 billion plus in market valuation increases. But during my days at McAfee, 2006, 7, 8, 9, you know, the market was a little more reticent for that. And we had to create balance of both cash, EBITDA, top line growth together. So here we are, the pendulum's coming back to that. And what does that mean? Layoffs, restructurings, recapitalizations in a way that really is probably needed. I mean, every couple of years we need to 
you know, get fit, get strong, and, you know, a little more sort of conservatism to our plans. So here we are pivoting. And I think it's a healthy thing overall for companies to go through this exercise. And I think it'll make a lot of companies stronger. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When you talk about growing a company like FireEye and like under four years that large, I feel for my recruiter friends out there, (laughs) that's just a lot of work. Maybe they can have a little rest right now, but they're probably also scared about their jobs, but they're valuable. I have to have you interview my my head of HR at some point in fire. I think we hired four thousand people in two year oh, window, man. just to give you an idea. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> oof, that's wild. But yeah, pendulum has to always swing back, I guess, to the middle, right? So. Okay, well, you mentioned being at CES and you've shared some predictions you you have for 2023 already. And you mentioned those, you know, new sectors and categories that have emerged. So what are some technology areas that you're going to be watching in 2023? And are there any hot segments or companies of note that have your attention that are changing things up and disrupting the industry? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with some of the mainstream stuff and then I'll talk a little bit for a minute about some of the emerging areas and companies around it. You know, the first thing we're watching is, you know, this sort of growth of this cloud infrastructure, which is really leading to, you know, almost what I call like a fabric of security services sitting above the hyperscaler. So sitting above cloud infrastructure like AWS and Azure and, of course, GCP and others. And it involves a number of segments of edge services. Some of people call it security service edge or SASE. But, you know, you think about network as a service. You think about cloud gateways as a service. You think about data management as a service. Many of these are some of the hottest areas now because of the hyperscale we're seeing that these cloud infrastructure providers have. So what are we starting to see? You know, sort of these cloud security suites growing and everything from cloud posture management to detection prevention and response to all kinds of data management that needs to be there. Gardner has shown this is about a $25 billion TAM coming. And, you know, there's vendors who are suited for that. And there's vendors who did not build kind of in an architecture suited for microservices, Kubernetes, containers, and edge services. So when we look at investments, we look at companies like that. I'll give you an example. We have a very hot company called Amuda, Amuda Amuda.ai. They essentially built a data access layer that can sit above data lakes and hyperscalers like Snowflake or Databricks or Redshift or BigQuery and essentially create data access management through a policy cloud So you can manage privacy and security across a completely distributed data management model. This is the future. The same with a company we have called iBoss, which is essentially a company focused on the SASE market or secure access service edge, zero trust, cloud services, all built on POPs, both private and public, that can stretch an edge with network access and zero trust capability and do it at high scale. Another company called Conceal that really does data abstraction and network abstraction and obfuscation of the network such that you can manage, you know, remote browser capabilities and isolation, but do it through the entire data path through the edge from one endpoint to another endpoint, which again is horizontal services of a fabric sitting above. So that whole layer above the hyperscaler is a huge area of growth. 
We have another company called vArmor we really like that's doing application relationship management in the cloud as well. How does one application talk to another? Like what is a remote process automation tool like RPA talking to another app? How do we begin to make sure those communications are safe across cloud to cloud and monitor that? It's called application attack surface management, big area of growth as well. And there's about four or five other categories like that. But some new areas, Hillary, as well, that are really growing. You know, you couldn't be a CS without hearing the word GPT, you know, over and over and generative AI. And that's the future as well. OpenAI has done an amazing job in helping to build a platform for us to build chat GPT and next generation kind of capabilities to interact with the internet. And that can be for both good and bad. So there's a lot of discussion on the good. How do we build good bots and good capabilities around our commerce engines interacting with chatbots and giving some AI capability there? But then there's a lot of discussion on the bad guy side, too. Now you can almost ask OpenAI, build me malware, build me a kit. And we've now created AI at another level, both offense and defense, that's fascinating to watch. And how are we going to keep trust and safety in those platforms? So interesting to watch what's happening on that front. But at the end of the day, and I'll summarize it this way, if you don't have crowd, cloud, and AI, it's going to be tough to be a cyber company in the future. Meaning if you're not built in the cloud, deployed in the cloud, managed in the cloud, you don't have AI and ML as a learning engine, and you don't have crowd empowerment and crowd learning, it's hard to really be of scale, especially for growth of your own engine. So crowd, cloud, and AI are now foundational components to nearly every company we look at. And so to add to that, Dave, and I think you kind of answered my next question, but I guess to, to expand it, you know, what technologies do you think CISOs are looking for against the current threat landscape that you've laid out? Yeah, there's quite a few, but I'll start with a couple that have really been driven by regulatory environments. One of them is industrial controls or what we call OT controls. This is an area where we've seen regulatory pressure, but also a lot of threat pressure as well. We've seen CISA put out a number of vulnerability disclosures, zero-day disclosures. We've seen some threats in this area, particularly from the Ukrainian conflict. So we only have about 5% of our industrial control systems protected today. So there's 95% more to go do. And so the world of OT and ICS is really important to protect. And we're seeing a lot of spending growth in that area. We have a company, our portfolio called Clarity, another one called Dragos, which are both growing incredibly well, growing to 100 million ARR and beyond already. So those are interesting. Another company called Armis doing a lot of it from the IoT side of things as well. So that's one big area. You know, obviously I mentioned the cloud is another area CISOs are really looking at. But probably the number one area that I heard many of the CISOs say is during these cloud transformations. How do I gain visibility into a hybrid environment? So just think about those words for a minute. I need visibility, then I need detection, then I need prevention in a hybrid environment. So now I have a lot of on-premise apps, I have cloud apps, I have public cloud, I have private cloud, I have a hybrid environment, and I gotta have control. So what are CISOs trying to always do is have visibility to their attack surface, and they gotta be able to do that across now a very complex architecture 
not just one cloud provider, many cloud providers across many countries. And it's a pretty daunting task. So a lot of sympathy, empathy for CISOs. Uh, I chair safety security for Delta Airlines. I work closely with the team there. I know how big of a challenge that can be. But I also can tell you that's probably one of the biggest areas CISOs are trying to do. The other area, simplicity, is really the, the hallmark of 2023 as well. Vendor consolidation. How do we go from a complex environment to a simpler environment? You know, it's always been nirvana to kind of do that in cyber. But having said that, you know, simpler, simpler, simpler. How do we streamline it? It's gotten too complex and we've got to figure out how to make it easier. So probably the bigger vendors get bigger, you know, in terms of just the opportunity. Palo Alto's and CrowdStrikes of the world really have a great opportunity in 2023. Smaller vendors, a little harder just because it's harder to onboard a new vendor. But it's going to be an interesting year all around. So looking forward to it. Certainly. Yeah, me too. And changing topics a little bit now, but generally, Dave, when you're evaluating a new potential investment, what do you look for and what's your main criteria? I was excited about this question when I wrote it. ChatGPT didn't write it. So. <laughs> but I'm, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Yeah. So, you know, we look for three things and I call them the three T's. You know, it's easy to remember, but it's deeper to actually do it. But Three T's stand for team, tech, and TAM, right? So the first thing we look for at Night Dragon is we look for a big total addressable market, a TAM, right? We want to see a lot of dislocation of what the offense can do from what the defense can provide. So we invested in the two companies that in their satellite markets, they provide low earth orbit satellite capabilities for software defined radios and frequency analysis. Another one does next generation imaging, but we could see that there was a big threat and a big risk and very low commercial availability. That dislocation created a big TAM. And then we went and looked for the best company and the best technology, the second T to really scale a company. In this particular case, a company called Hawkeye 360 in our portfolio, another one called Capella Space, fit that U.S. companies born and bred out of the U.S., you know, military government capabilities, but also could apply to commercial ESG areas like sustainability, created a big TAM, great tech, quick launches as an example. So those were good ones. But probably the most important of them is the team, right? If you find a good TAM, you find a good tech set. Do you have a good CEO? Do you have a good team, a good board, a good cap table of fellow investors as well? So, you know, I always found, you know, boy, if you can surround yourself with people better than yourself in every functional area, you're going to be a lot better. So where the teams are the strongest, typically are the companies who have done the best. So we look for really good teams, even if the tech might not be as good as another company, if we feel the team is better we tend to invest in them. So three T's. And so with so many startups in the ecosystem, what should these startups be thinking about before contacting a VC? Because I mean, if someone's a founder and they're problematic, perhaps that's not something they can change necessarily, but what else should they be taking into consideration? Yeah, I like to think about it as, you know, big P versus little P. Again, you know, funny analogies, but it's true. I think about, you know, founders and young companies who think about a big P platform versus a little P product or feature. Are you addressing a big enough market to disrupt the old with the new? Are you able to create hyperscale out of your platform and grow? 
to the point where investors like us want to see it. You know, and I think a FireEye in that case, could we take a company from 10 million to a billion in three years? How many can do that? You have to build the technology right in order to scale like that, which means you got to be able to sell to the biggest enterprises in the world, Delta Airlines of the world, the governments of the world, but you also got to be able to sell to the smallest enterprises of the world, SMBs. You got to be able to cross oceans. You got to build your capability in multiple language types, multi-byte and Latinate languages. You got to be able to FedRAMP your product. If you don't know what FedRAMP is, you should. State ramp your product. These are ways to win the government to win the market. So we look for foundational things in companies right from the beginning of the founders that they're building their capability right and looking for a big enough market to really make a difference. 7,000 cyber companies out there, certainly they won't all make it. When you look at the ones who do, those are the ones who follow some of the things that I just said. Well, Dave, you've given so many bits of great advice throughout our conversation, but to sum everything up, is there any final advice you have to our audience, which includes, among many others, CISOs and startup founders alike? Well, Hillary, the last thing I'd say is thank you. You know, it takes a village, I always say, in the world of cyber. You know, the more we can come together with public and private partnerships, government coming together with private, uh, CISOs working together through the ISACs or through their vertical areas or through conferences and sharing, the better we're all going to be. So we've made a lot of progress in the last couple of years in this area. I hope that we can continue that inertia and really grow together. So I know it's a tough job for a lot of people defending, and I'm appreciative of all of that, having been on the front lines many times myself. So I'm just proud and honored to be a part of the whole community. Thank you for having me today. Yes, thank you. It was so nice speaking with you and meeting you. And hopefully I'll see you at RSA conference in a few months. I hope so too, Hillary. Have a great year and we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Dave. I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Dave DeWall, founder and CEO of Night Dragon. To learn more about Night Dragon, visit their website at nightdragon.com. And to listen to all of our podcast episodes, visit us at cybercrime.radio.